What up, everybody? Welcome to episode four of the Comrades Classroom Podcast, part one of our disability justice series. On it, myself and Sham sit down at neighbor school with our homies from Sacramento and talk about how we imagine implementing disability justice practices in our communities. Listen, discuss, share with friends, and most importantly, for everybody, but especially if you're white, don't consume this labor for free. Donate to us on Venmo at the People's Coalition or become a sustainer of our mutual aid work on patreon.com slash the people's fund. That's patreon.com slash the people's fund. And we'll have that linked in the episode description as well. If you have any questions or you want to get involved, hit us up on Instagram. And as always, we appreciate every one of y'all support um, and hope you enjoy. Yeah, so just briefly for the agenda, um, we're just going to talk about who, who we are uh, at the People's Coalition. And again, that, that's not defined by um, two people. We're just two small parts of it. Um, we're made up. We got about 35 folks who are actively working on, on our different survival programs. Um, so that, that's key, right, is that it's not <clears throat> there's no leadership. There's no bosses. There's no teachers. It's it's uh, or not no teachers, but, you know, the role mm-hmm. of the typical. Um, it's everybody working uh, in reciprocity with each other. Um, we'll talk a little bit about understanding our own positionality, like why the fuck am I talking, sitting here talking to you about disability justice? Uh, why is Sam sitting here um, talking to you about disability justice and kind of understanding where you, we fit into that? Um, I think that kind of comes from that one bullet point um, from the like community agreements, right? Where it's like understanding where and when to speak up uh, and like when's your time, right? And I think um, it's it being really aware of, of the topics we're speaking on um, and who we're speaking on them to. Um, we'll go through like a couple key vocabulary, just three uh, for, for, for this. Uh, uh, we'll have a quick video break of, um, for us, the, the, the GOAT of disability justice, Elia Fukui. Um, he, the way they break down um, these concepts is just like next level for, for a lot of us. And um, we'll turn y'all um, by the end to our, our Comrades Classroom page, which has um, the month of December is like all disability justice resources and that shit is fire. Um, and the last thing we'll talk about is Im- actually like implementing um, like models within our interpersonal lives, within our community spaces, within our organizational spaces, right? That actually embody um, collective care models that ex- actually embody um, healing justice and disability justice and whatnot. Um, and like, if you, I mean, if, if we get distracted um, at all during this, it's because um, uh, of capitalism and Sam is um, working right now. Um, <laughs> yeah, sorry. <and> so- <laughs> <laughs> so we know how how that goes. Um, yeah, you can go to the next one. Uh, points of unity. You want to start? Yeah. Um, so we are anti-imperialists and anti-capitalists. We struggle for the defense and livelihood of native peoples and lands and work to challenge the existence and domination of colonial nation states. We center the political struggle of black, indigenous, and trans feminism. Uh, we believe in the radical unity of all colonized people via right these different political lenses. Um, we believe in the people's right to self-determination and self-defense. Uh, we are anti-patriarchal and anti-white supremacy. Um, and this last one is kind of the the ongoing, I think, struggle for all of us, that we, the, the challenge we need to all take, right, in, in constantly killing um, the capitalist and the cop that, like, sits and lives in our head um, um, and, and has us, like, projecting all of these capitalist ideologies and, and settler ideologies each other on ourselves, on our communities, uh, on other folks, right? So it's, it's believing in the abolition of all symptoms of settler colonialism, right? So not just the systems, not just 
the military industrial complex, not just the prison industrial complex, not just white supremacy, right? But the symptoms that come from that type of violence, um, right? So that means settler colonialism, that means capitalism, that means heteropatriarchy, that means ableism, that means white supremacy, that means whorephobia, that means fatphobia, right? That means all of these isms and, and phobias that um, violently impact the experiences of our, our siblings and our most vulnerable siblings. Um, and there's never a point where you're like done, right? There's never a point where you have abolished these symptoms from you. Like we were raised in the heart of the like of global imperialism. Like we were raised in the heart of global imperialism. We need to like realize that uh, and really like fa come face to face with that um, and understand that we're not gonna like tomorrow just not be ableist. We're not gonna just tomorrow, I'm not just gonna not be patriarchal. It's never gonna happen. Um, it, it's about this constant process of undoing that violence that we were taught for so many years. <clears throat> Uh, you can go past this. Um, it's not really that important. So uh, why are we the ones talking to you about this? Uh, so hello, I'm, I'm Sam. I'm disabled and chronically ill, which is why I choose to speak on this particularly. Um, disability justice is new for me, but also not new because I've always been disabled. I've just never used the word because I was never given the vocabulary. Um, I found that out last year and it's been like life changing actually to not have to perform ableism, uh, which is really nice. Oh yeah, sorry. I, I was, um, uh, Felisa, I just sent uh, a different link. We, I updated the ones I sent to Jordan just a little bit, um, but just while, I'm, while we're, we're talking on this part, we can switch them over, um, if that's okay. I don't mean to cause you any trouble. Um, yeah, so, uh, why are we the ones talking about this? So Sam shared, right, as, as, a, dis as a disabled person, um, right, within this space uh, on the authority to talk about this, but why does somebody like me, a non-disabled or able-bodied, um, have really any authority to talk on this? Um, and Alice Wong um, kind of situates this for us where um, it's about, it's, it's the fact that we can't only put this labor on disabled folks, right? And, and it's the fact that we can't just depend on the labor, especially it's been for years, free labor, right, of disabled folks to, to create our spaces that are safe for them, right? It's, it's up to us. It's up to uh, non-disabled and able-bodied folks to transform the spaces because most spaces in society are inaccessible um, to, our, to our disabled siblings, to our immunocompromised siblings, to our, um, our mentally ill siblings, right? And so to actually build spaces for them is not up to them, right? It's up to us. And so that's why I think uh, Alice Wong puts so much pressure on uh, non-disabled folks to be the ones talking about this, to be the ones stepping into back into their spaces being like, yo, what the fuck is this? Like, even if there's no direct disabled folks in your community, um, it's the, the least you can do out of an act of love is, is to provide access at bare minimum to your space, right? Um, but especially having actual disabled folks in your space is, is the most important. Uh, you, can go, you can go to the next one. Thank you. Uh, so key vocabulary, uh, you want to start with this one? Yes. So disability justice. Um, it's a vision and practice of a yet to be a map that we can create with our ancestors and our great grandchildren onward in the width and depth of our multiplicities and histories, a movement towards a world in which every body and mind is known as beautiful. Yeah, and I, I mean, I love that that definition um, because again, it it, it it acknowledges the, the historical and ancestral presence um, um, that is necessary for, for this to, to occur, but also, right, is that this, this path onward that is continuing um, and the multiplicity of that path between individuals um, and really recognizing, right, everybody's, every individual body and mind, but amongst the collective. Um, Healing justice, I, this is my favorite definition. I know we, a lot of people talk about like transformative justice and, and RJ, uh, but I think healing, like this definition of healing justice kind of expands both of them. Um, so it's a framework that identifies how we can holistically respond to and intervene on generational trauma and violence and to bring collective practices that can impact and transform the consequences of oppression on our bodies, hearts, and minds, right? So it's like, I think we get stuck in this argument of like, oh, I'm a TJ practitioner, or I'm an RJ practitioner, I use this practice, I use these practices. Um, whereas like a healing justice framework is, is like just focused on, on, on the different collective practices that can bring healing to communities, right? And, and like, and really figuring out ways to holistically respond to violence, to harm um, that, that folks experience. Um, either on a, a like a violent, a very violent scale, 
uh, or a, a less violent scale, right? Um, but, but right, it's an understanding that this violence is a spectrum um, and that responding to it can't just be, um, like never one situation is gonna be the same when we're talking about addressing harm or trauma. Um, and then the last one is uh, decolonization. You wanna read that one? Yeah. <clears throat> the action and practice of dismantling harmful structures of power, reclaiming previous subjectivities and envisioning of a future built on previous and current understandings of compassion, relation, and accountability. Um, and we do this in here as a, as a key vocab because um, like Jordan kind of joked earlier, right, about the need for, for him personally to go back to Africa um, or for, for African people, right, to understand what a Pan-African movement really looks like. Um, but all of that, right, any, any of these goals that we, that we have or aspirations can't happen without decolonization, without the complete um, destruction of the settler state, right, whether that's a settler uh, a Zionist state that, that puts... Um, extreme violence on, on Palestinian people and has always, um, um, or we're talking about the American settler state or in the way in which that the American imperialism imposes its settler uh, uh, nature on right, South America, on Africa, on uh, East Asia, on Southeast Asia. Um, it's, it's understanding imperialism and settler colonialism uh, as a, from an internationalist standpoint and understanding that we can't reach any of these goals without the complete decolonization, right? Without turning the land and the power back to the people who, who it belongs to. Um, I mean, I, I could say a lot about that, but I'm not gonna. So uh, yeah, just just the, the, uh, the need to understand that we can't just be democratic socialists and like go be like, yay, go DSA. Um, Cause the DSA believes in um, just like environmental imperialism, right? Like it's just a little better imperialism. And I mean, we know that's why Elon Musk is now the richest motherfucker in the world because of the DSA. Um, so in, in the Green New Deal, right? So it's being critical about our goals and aspirations as uh, revolutionaries. Uh, yeah, you can play. You can play on this. I should shut up. Elliot's way better. So disability justice is a term that was coined by Patty Byrne and the Disability Justice Collective, which was this amazing crew of disabled, badass, mostly queer and trans people of color. Disability justice is really looking at creating a world where everybody, every mind, uh, regardless of how it's shaped or moves or functions in the world, um, has a place and understands that disabled folks have a lot, a lot, a lot to offer um, to our communities. And in the same vein, it's, it's grounded in the agency and self-determination of a person who identifies, um, you know, like I identify as neurodivergent, um, that my agency and self-determination is prioritized uh, over, right, things like the medical industrial complex or saying that there's something wrong with me. Transformative justice is also about agency and self-determination, right, and people have understanding that we are all empowered um, to change our lives and to change behaviors and to transform the culture that we live in. Uh, disability justice is also trying to transform the culture that we live in to be you know, bigger and allow for more agency and self-determination from more of us. So that intersection is a super sweet spot because yeah, we're all fighting for that same thing, which is that we get to exist in the world without fear of harm just because of who we are or how we move through the world. As someone with um, who's neurodivergent and with disabilities, um, like a, a lot of how I entered into this work was through my own lived experience of trying to A, be accountable to my community and be able to show up for my community as someone who you know, very frequently has to take moves back because of how my mind and my body function. Um, but also for care to become a collective thing. Disabled folks, you know, we've never been able to rely on uh, a lot of the systems that are in place or those systems have been incredibly harmful to us. More than 50% of people who are murdered by the police are people with neurodivergence or who are neuroatypical or have cognitive disabilities, right? So for disabled community, this is also about us staying alive. I think everyone should have a safety team. Everyone should have a community that um, loves them enough and unconditionally. Having a safety team has enabled me to be outside, to be a part of my community, um, and it also is a preventative tool. Uh, my friends know how to support me and take care of me so that I don't end up outside while I'm dissociated or episodic, which means I have less interactions with police officers, which means I have a less lesser chance of ending up back inside or 
really harmed by the state or the system. So when I think about transformative justice and community accountability, and again, that intersection, right, is like, this is really about um, going back to what we know is true, that our relationships are the most valuable resource that we have in, in maintaining our agency and self-determination, in getting the love and care and support we need to survive, and in shifting, right, shifting our culture kind of from the inside out. From a disability perspective, so many of us who are disabled like live in a lot of isolation because of ableism. So, and I mean, that can happen for people who aren't disabled too. I think that's true for a lot of survivors and a lot of people that they're like, what community? So I guess I also want to give a shout out because I think, you know, like community is a word in community accountability, right? And I think often there there is still this focus we have on like, oh my God, this great network of community is gonna be there and it's so wonderful. And a lot of us actually have a much more mixed experience or we're like, actually we're loners, we're hermits, we're, there's a lot of stuff that we don't actually have support around or we're actually kind of isolated. And I guess I kind of want to give a shout out to like people who might be watching this video who are living alone in their apartments or their lives who are still building lives that have safety, peace, justice, and healing, and to say that that's real too. So real quick, we're gonna talk about um, that, uh, so that last uh, person who spoke. So we're, we're gonna, uh, the first person was Elliot, um, who we're gonna use the majority of the rest of the time to talk about his his care team model, which he kind of mentioned a little bit, right, about his safety team. Um, but briefly, like, so Leah uh, wrote this book and has this amazing paper called Cripping Transformative Justice. Um, and yeah, Sam's gonna talk a little bit about that um, and, and we'll expand on it a little bit. Yeah, so um, the author discusses how many TJ practitioners are both disabled and have experienced harm in um, our trauma through a number of intersections and how ableism is off, often intertwined with um, survivor hatred. And that's like, it's really common. It's common for your TJ person practitioner to be neurodivergent. Um, these things are like, normal normalized in this space but like outside of this space it's still um it's still such a such an impactful thing because people see it as so differently they see like only how ableism works in that way when really it's several different ways that ableism is causing people to like receive harm even unintentionally from able body folks just because of how how much pressure is put on teacher practitioners as well and um, that's what they really talk about in their book. Um, it's it's about how they have to learn, uh, as disabled folks, you have to learn how to protect yourself from all of the things that you want to help do. Um, and that's really where able-bodied folks come in and start to take off that pressure and to, to really help disabled folks in, in a way that is reciprocal and not um, just taking and or giving. It's actually like a, a very detailed relationship and we'll talk about that in like the care team models. Um, she also discusses how always being considered too much by her, um, which is really common for disabled chronically ill folks um, and her peers viewed, um, viewed her access as a burden instead of a reciprocal act of love. So when we think about access, we think about, um, we think about like now, like having like captured building one ramp to go into a store, <laughs> like bu building a ledge on a on a sidewalk because like you can't just have it all the same because like wheelchairs exist and also people who cannot take steps exist. Um, it's also about captioning. It's about describing your pictures and um, your photos so that people who are um, hard hard of seeing or blind can also access whatever you're putting out because if it's not if it's not reciprocal, if it's not completely accessible by, by most disabled folks, then it's, it's not worth putting out. And that's like not to shame able-bodied folks, but to remind them that like the things that you take as normalcy are things that are inaccessible to people. Like, like you're in the same way that like, we all try to make sure that everybody, um, that everybody has access to things, but we, we forget sometimes that like our pictures aren't captioned because like we're not blind. Um, we forget that like, like even something as simple as um, shows on TVs being TV being captioned for um, the blind and like deaf, how those things can go unseen by a lot of able-bodied folks. And it's very common and it's um, disheartening for a lot of reasons. Sorry, I was also just reading a thread on this. So it's very, 
poignant, but it's not a problem that I've faced, but it's a problem that a multitude of people face. Um, you want to do the last one? Yeah, um, but to yeah to kind of ex expand on that though, right? It's like um, there's there's a couple of things I'm thinking of, right? Because because it isn't just about right the things that are visible to you, right? Not all, not everybody's uh, disabilities are visible, um, and, and I think that's super important too, right? Because it's not just about being like, okay, I see this disability now, I know that this disability is in front of me, and now I'm going to provide them access, right? It's it's transforming our the conditions of our society. It's transforming our spaces. It's transforming everything we do, um, so that it's not a second thought. So that it's not a oh shit now we have to provide access. This is a burden. Like oh now we have to go and do this. It's always considering every person um, that you that you want to have access to your space, right? To, which should be everybody within our community. So it's really um, not only having a piece of every person in your community that 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 has a voice within your collective. Um, but also understanding the needs and the people within your community and knowing how to provide access for them. Was it Elliot that um, said disability justice benefits able folks just as much as disabled? Yeah, right. Yeah, so, yeah that same idea that like uh, like the destruction of capitalism and white supremacy will also benefit white, white folks. It's not just um, colonized people. Obviously, it creates more violence and will benefit them greater when it's gone. Um, but like white folks are also unhoused and white folks are also suffer from um, the, the prison industry and certain complexes. And it's not to, right, not to <laughs> sympathize with the settler at all. It's to, to understand that like the destruction of these systems will benefit literally every single person. Um, and then that, so the, the key quote that we did, um, that we put up on the flyer uh, that we were, that Jordan asked to talk about earlier was, we need to talk about liberation from a disability justice perspective that believes our exhaustion and vicarious trauma are not sidelines to the struggle. We need to take a breath and dare to imagine models for doing this work that are actually sustainable. Um, and that speaks a lot, I think, to, to what I was just saying, because like specifically like for, for Sam, for example, um, like their access to the space is, is us um, being very well planned. It's us having grace. It's us um, being in strong communication um, and being able to pick up labor um, when their lung function is below 40%, when they don't have any spoons left and like genuinely can't get out of bed, right? But like made promises to the community that they were gonna help get food somewhere, but like they woke up the next day and are, are, are like unable to move, right? And unable to physically function. Um, so then it's up to us as, as their community, as a part of their collective care team um, to pick up that labor, right? And make sure that even though they're struggling and don't have access in the moment um, to, to do the labor that they promised, it, that labor still gets picked up and still gets done. And it's not seen as a burden. It's not seen as a distressor um, or causing more um, pain, right, to Sam, but it's just like making sure that those structures are built into our, our framework and our day-to-day -day lives so that if there is a flare up with, with their chronic illness or their disability, we can address it. Um, uh, both interpersonally in our relationship and then also the collective can make sure that they're supporting us as well. Uh, did I, I don't know, did that, did that sound right? Or? No, that's completely right. And it it's it's really necessary, um, not only for like your disabled folks who are like physically disabled or chronically ill, but also for neurodivergent folks. Um, we often forget that neurodivergence isn't genuinely accepted in society and that it's like, and that every day we are forcing ourselves to perform ableism by not having our ADHD or our anxiety or any depression or like these things met schizophrenia. schizophrenia, like any of these things, bipolar disorder, um, and how varying those things can be day to day. Um, we often think about like getting things done and then worrying about our self care. But like when we have these, this care team model, this disability justice lens over everything, it makes it so much easier to look at your friend who may be able-bodied but is having a depressive episode and, and be able to let them also take the time and have the grace to sit down and deal with their emotions or not come to distro that day because they signed up a week ago, but like now it's the day and it's really hard. Um, and that, that can even be like when we're at distro uh, yeah. or like yeah, when they, we're- They talk yeah. about in, in, the, in the thing, uh, in, the, uh, in the reading Creeping TJ that Leah wrote, um, how like, in the, in spaces, um, you can have a you can have a mad episode. You can have a schizophrenic episode. You can uh, go manic. You can break down and cry and have an anxiety attack. Like in the the organizing space, in a meeting, in class, and it, nobody, nothing changes. Nothing about the space changes, right? They allow that space for you to take the space that you need, and they continue on with their day. It's not 
everyone in the room, all 50 people coming and surrounding that one person and freaking out, being like, oh my God, how can we help you? How can we do this? And like, um, and like glorifying or victimizing their, uh, their, their disability. It's, it's addressing it with, uh, with care and based off of their agency and their self-determination, what do they need in that moment? Right. And so like, you don't know that if you haven't had those conversations already as a collective or as a group, right. When those things come up. Um, and so like, I mean, I love, I mean, we've had baby anarchists, baby anarchists all throughout the uh, presentation. Right. But love is, is holding space for each other. Um, and I think that's really key with, with disability justice and collective care frameworks. Um, is calling your homies out when to address the harm they've done, right? Whether whether that's like um, the type of violence we, we typically talk about with harm, right? Or um, not like not providing access is harm, right? Not acknowledging certain folks with disabilities or not recognizing it is harm. Um, creating a certain space where the folks didn't even feel comfortable bringing up their disability, that's harm, um, right? So it's addressing that uh, within your collective and really, really working through that. And the shit is hard. Like I promise you, the shit is really hard. Um, it's like two, three hour meetings with the homies with like maybe just the 11 people that are in here or just the 10 people that you distro with, or maybe it's a 50 person collective, right? But it's really having those difficult conversations and understanding the needs of each person. Um, Cause it's like, it's vital. It's really vital to, to our survival. Um, you can go to the next slide. And so now we're just gonna break down um, and what do we got? Got about 15 minutes. So we'll try to do this in like 10 minutes so we can leave some space at the end. Um, and y'all could go over time a little bit too. Like don't press on like, gotta be the next time. Yeah, for sure. Um, no, I appreciate that. Uh, so yeah, we'll just go through this quickly. Um, Cause really like this is Elliot's model. And I think that if you really want to get a good idea of this, you should go and watch. It's about an hour long teaching that they did similar. Um, and I will go watch that um, and I can drop the link at the end, um, but we'll, we'll, we'll rip through this. Um, so you wanna alternate or do you want me to? Can you start? Yeah, so what is a care team, right? So it's a group of people who are creating and participating in a process of mutual aid grounded in agency and consent to support one another and prevent, and prevent harm, right? So this model is created for um, disabled folks, it's for, for uh, mentally ill folks, for neurodivergent folks, or for people who've experienced harm um, to be able to address those things, their needs on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, right, and so everyone who's involved in that, it, it needs to be understood, right, that it's mutual aid, um, it's about agency and consent, and it's about supporting one another, right? It's not, it's not transactional, it's not one person um, only getting their needs met, it's not about one person doing this or the entire collective, right, and their reciprocal acts towards each other. Um, um, who are in alignment about communication, decision-making, their roles during times of support and crisis, proactive, rapid response. And this is, and like, this seems so um, basic, but communication, communication is so hard. And like, as much as we think we may have open lines of communication, there's so many factors that we have to constantly reopen the space and reopen those connections because things happen, harm occurs and people hold things in. And this is just the way we were taught. This is the way society raised us, but breaking down these walls and continuing to open those open those lines of communication with like honest, very blunt conversation is so necessary. And like, we see that every day. Yeah, I mean, think about it. If, uh, um, and I'm just gonna use neighbor programs as an example. If you got 10 people that are gonna go do a distro for our unhoused siblings, right? You need to have, you need to know what the decision-making processes even are gonna be, right? To get that distro done. You need to know what roles need to be uh, had, right? To get that distro done. And then if there's gonna be, if there's crisis or an emergency during that distro, right? Cops pull up, sweeps are happening, whatever it is, right? It's being able to respond to that, right? So it's really just doing the shit we already do, um, but like having these proactive conversations about it, um, both with our interpersonal relationships, having it with ourselves, um, having it with the, the, our collective of folks, right? And it's, it's knowing the decisions that have to be made and the roles that need to be um, taken up for, for either someone's need to be met or for a task to get done. Um, a group of people who are willing to try different strategies in order to minimize impact to someone who's in an emotional crisis and minimize burnout for people who are in supportive roles. Um, who are willing to practice being accountable to and for themselves and to each other. Yep, and accountability is key, right? And I think the most key, which y'all probably talked about in, in other spaces, right, is that the person being held accountable has to want it at the end of the day, right? It, the, the folks who are looking for healing and growth cannot be the ones taking on the labor to hold that person accountable, right? That, that 
you have to want to be held accountable. You have to pursue accountability. It can't just be put on you by other people who care about you. Um, and then lastly, uh, care team is a group of people who are willing to practice resource sharing and or wealth redistribution. And that is super key, right? If you have, if you, if you have a collective of 35 folks and you're meeting the needs of the community around you and an emergency comes up within that collective of 35 and you can't even meet those needs, right? Then we're, we're failing at some rate, right? So if our own homies who are trying to do this work are having a mental episode, are, um, are experiencing physical trauma, are experiencing a need uh, or lack of shelter or need for money, right? It's being able to have that collective that's already in place who can go and meet those needs. Um, so think about mutual aid for ourselves as well not just for the people we're going out and, and, and providing resources for. You can go to the next slide. Go ahead. Um, so some guiding questions are, what are some of the barriers I face to asking for and receiving support? Um, what does my day-to-day -day capacity look like? Um, what are the ways that feel safest for me to ask for support? What are some of the ways I like to receive support? What are the ways that I love to offer support how do i like to give and receive feedback what places and spaces feel safest to me when i'm not well and what are my goals for being a part of a care team um so i know when we had this discussion with our group like we got stuck on this on this page for like an hour yeah right and, and so like these are like tough questions like so I, I really challenge or we really challenge everybody like in here tonight and if you take this model and go talk about it in a larger collective to like almost like assign these questions beforehand or after and like talk about it again and meet together because like these are it's understanding your own capacity like how often can I actually even show up um, and be my full self in that space right because if you're not honest about that then you're going to cause harm to everybody else right if you can't if you don't have capacity but you're trying to act like you do right that's not that's not good for anybody involved um, and so being able to actually answer these questions and talk through them is super hard but like necessary it's also so um so vital because like for your neurodivergent disabled folks capacity looks hella different all the time um receiving support looks different all the time receiving feedback looks different all the time and like reassuring your folks that like you're willing to change as they change and you're willing to work with how they show up when they show up um is really really important yeah, and and I think and for the feedback one for me, I, I always go to that one because um, I think you you can say how you want to receive feedback, <laughs> you can say whatever, but like when the time comes, and I always use like uh, uh, Sam and I as an example, right? When actually being held accountable when someone's like actually telling their honesty, so like say Sam and I are having a disagreement, right? Or I personally did something that was um, that wasn't considerate of of their needs, especially as as a disabled person. Um, and when the time come for me to actually receive that feedback, I didn't, I didn't even receive it the way that I said that I was going to, I was like, oh, of course, of course I'm going to like hold myself accountable. But like my first thing was to be defensive, right? First thing was to be defensive. So it's about actually in the moment as well, like having a better understanding of like, why, why is this making me feel uncomfortable? Why is this making me angry? Why is this making me anxious? Why is this whatever? And like asking yourself those questions instead of project, uh, projecting, uh, behaviors especially negative behaviors onto other folks right because it's not it's probably not them trying to cause harm to you it's probably you projecting certain feelings um uh, onto them um yeah so we, we can go to the next one um so the kind of people we need in our spaces people with boundaries uh people which is super key uh well we talk about a, one simple thing is just talking all the time uh being super uh overt about your actions like so literally just like can i give you a hug like, it's like not that hard to ask that every time because sometimes someone's gonna say yes sometimes they might say no and so it's, it's having conversations about boundaries um people who i feel seen and heard by um people who bring me joy and comfort people i identify as comrades people who i have seen handle crisis people who i've struggled with or alongside people who are grounded in shared principles and values right which is why uh, we love that right this the neighbor school starts with right the, the the their version of the 10 point program right we started with our points of unity right so you can't even be in community together if there's not like a shared principles and values that you're working towards um or with you're already being held accountable from the gym <laughs> people who honor consent and like going back to yep. the hugging thing like that's that's very basic um we think consent is basic but like 
we got to remember that like physical touch is physical touch regardless of how we go about it. So you don't even, know everybody's triggers. Yeah. So even like a hand on the shoulder can be too much for people at certain points. And sometimes a full on bear hug is what they want. And being able to be flexible with your comrades like that is um, creates dynamics of such openness and an ability to share information that like, it's just, it's so basic, but we have to make it intentional. Uh, people who are aware of power, power dynamics, right? So understanding that I, like, for example, that I am a man, I am able-bodied, I am mass presenting, right? Even if I identify as non-binary, right? None of that. So obviously it matters, right? But the power dynamics are still there regardless. Um, so it's super key to identify those. Um, people who are accessible to me. Yeah, people with um, different skills, identities, wisdom, and lived experiences, right? If everybody's from the same uh, cookie cutter, right? It's not um that, that that doesn't breed growth or healing or diversity or none of that right so it's actually having a space with people with different skills identities wisdoms and lived experiences people who are willing to take risks and learn from their mistakes um also people who are willing to own up to their mistakes we talk, we talk about like these things are basic accountabilities when you when you make a mistake or if you take a risk and it, and it goes bad you have to be able to be accessible and able to be held accountable. And as much as we say that we want to, as, and we say that we will, we have to actively work towards that, intentionally still call those things out within each other because it's so easy to let them go. Yeah, I always read through this one and look at it as like, as something as, as a person who, I, who you wanna strive to be, right? Or like work towards. Um, Cause the way I look at it, right? If I'm out in the field, um, doing what if I'm doing a grocery pop-up in, in the in the neighborhood, if I'm doing um, delivery, uh, sorry, distributions with uh, the unhoused homies. Um, if I look around and I see these type of people beside me day in and day out, like my experience in that is going to be so much better, right? It's just going to be so much better. You're going to, you're going to, you're going to be safer. You're going to be more comfortable. You're going to have more access. And then you're also going to have motherfuckers who are going to ride or die for you, like straight, straight up, straight up. Right. And so it's understanding that like, um, like these frameworks are always seen as like soft or like, uh, or as, as a burden, um, but really they provide so much strength and support and really adopt different models um, that our communities have already used, right? In gang culture, right? In a lot of different things. Um, so it's really, it's just viewing it differently, I think too. Um, you can go to the next one. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, this one's a little less applicable, um, but right, if you're someone um, who who is, um, who is a, is a survivor, who is disabled, who, who needs a direct care team around you, right, of like five or six friends, um, then like this is, this part is super important. Um, but we talk about this a lot. If we're talking about it on a more of a collective scale, um, is, is really talking with each other about the different types of roles with the informations and tasks within your, within your specific collective. Um, but in this model, we can talk about it as well. Do we say? Yeah. So um, internal communicator, person who coordinates communication within the team, um, power of attorney slash proxy, persons like people who are decision makers for emergencies. This is obviously for more for disabled folks who are um, medically not stable, um, but also it's hella important to like remember that like life is short and these things do happen. So like to keep the, even as able-bodied folks to keep these things in mind, um, shit comes at you fast. Yeah, support um, people who show up in the ways requested. Advocates, people who attend appointments, support with navigating systems and institutions. Important. Um, it's very hard to ask for help. Um, personally, for me, as a disabled folk, I don't like having to ask for help. But unfortunately, because of the heteropatriarchy within all of our systems, even medical, um, having a male mask presenting folk in the room with me or having them talk for me um, usually goes better, unfortunately. That that sounds the shittiest because it is. Um, and although I don't use that very often, there have been times when I have not been stable enough to get through an appointment by myself. And I've had to use those things or like I used my mother for um, when I was younger, but it's, it's hard not being able to advocate for yourself. And so if someone were to ask for this or you needed this in your group, know that it comes with responsibility, but also a lot of vulnerability from the person asking for help because it's not easy to do that. And it's not easy to navigate these things. Uh, and then logistics, a person who coordinates scheduling, food deliveries, finances, et cetera. Um, 
and again, right, it's just like understanding that this model, right, um, even specifically for one person with a disability and their close group, uh, their safety team, or right, a larger collective, right? So you need to have all of these things nailed down. Everyone needs to know um, where they fit in, what skills they can provide, how they um, can show up to the group meaningfully, right? And it's not saying that you have to meet this criteria to be a part of the group. It's, uh, it's, it's also providing access in that way and allowing people to show up how they can, right? Port one, there's literally just people who show up in the ways requested uh, for that person. So literally if Sam's just like, or the, the person, whoever is just like, I wanna go get ice cream right, in their care team, and if someone responds, like, for sure, I'm down, and they grab you and go, hey, you go get ice cream, right, like, it literally, like, it can be that simple, um, the, Elliot talks about it in that way, like, it, it's, I think we think that TJ and, and disability justice, like, really fucking hard, uh, but, like, that's able-bodied people saying that shit, like, uh, disabled folks have had to struggle and deal with this shit their whole lives, so, like, just, like, providing support and care for somebody is, like, the easiest shit, um, and I think we have to view it through that lens as well. And we can go to the next one. Uh, communication strategies, um, honesty about capacity, and that's on everyone's part, even able-bodied folks, because like burnout is burnout, and that shit comes and it hits hard and it sucks. Yeah, that's something we haven't <laughs> talked about, right? Is like, uh, it's understood that like the able-bodied activist, right, is like a fucking superhero, right? You don't have any flaws. You don't get tired. You show up all the fucking time. You read like 8,000 pages a day, mm-hmm. like blah, 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 blah. Like that's all bullshit, right? It's not, and it's not sustainable. If you do it, you're not going to be able to do that your whole, your, your whole life. Um, so it's being super honest, even as able-bodied folks being like, what are these unrealistic fucking standards that are being put upon us, right? By, by capitalism. Like why, why is the, the, the overproduction, this thing that is expected? So it's like, I don't think we've talked about enough, enough in this, this um, like right now, but it's, this isn't just for, for disabled folks. This is understanding um, that these unrealistic pressures of production are also put on um, able-bodied folks. And, and if we've, we've seen, right, a number of movements fail, right? We've seen this shit happen throughout history. And a lot of it is due to the inability to, to address capacity um, and then the inability, um, right, to actually like stay true to, to the values, right? And not, and not get um, infiltrated, right, by fucking feds anyway. Um, Go ahead. Um, also, I, I, it's also the inability for able folks to to admit that they have a capacity, yep. <laughs> that they are not invincible, that they are not a hundred times better than disabled folks because they can stay up twenty four hours, but like also burn out within like two hours but after. You do that. experience <laughs> emotional and physical pain as well. Yeah, it's um, it's knowing your limitations and meeting meeting folks where they're at is the next point, and it's so true because sometimes as an able bodied folk, like you're still at like 10% because the semester has worn you out and you're working two jobs and like that shit sucks. Um, And like being honest about that and not pretending that you're like, okay, just because that's what society wants from you. Yeah, honest and timely feedback is super key if you're gonna continue to to build and grow these relationships. Um, Space to address dynamics and offer feedback is super important. If folks are feeling a certain type of way and that never gets communicated, we understand, like we have to understand that that's only gonna create toxic environments and and different types of harm. And if one person's feeling it, there's so likely that another person is feeling it and like 10 other people are feeling it. So just address it. Um, And on top of that, doing joyful things together, not just work. Um, You gotta have to also have just basic interaction of relationship that's like stable and kind and reciprocal. Yeah, like the work work has to get done. Um, Again, if using the neighbor program as an example, obviously you have to get that distro finished. Um, But who says you can't kick back and smoke a blunt and drink some wine with your homies afterward, right? Like you have to also enjoy the the revolutionary like love that you're experiencing with one another. Um, Documentation is critical very fucking critical, right? Especially whether good things happen or bad things happen. If it's not documented, right? We've seen fucking smear campaigns. We've seen um, toxic environments. We've seen just fucking lies, like tear down entire organizations, right? We've seen, I don't know how familiar y'all are, but like we've seen the slander, like and the multiple attempts to tear down like People's Breakfast Oakland, for example. Right? So it's understanding that like document this shit and keep your ass covered um, and in like a number of ways, right? Because if you're documenting your conversation within your collective, then you're also able to hold each other accountable more. Cause like, no, like you, like we talked about this, you said you were gonna do this. You said, this is how we were gonna address this type of conflict. And now you're saying this. So like explain that, 
right? And if you don't have that documented, if you're not actually talking through these things, then no one can actually be held accountable. Um, the next is grounded in self-determination and mindfulness. Um, the self-determination is so important because in order to want to fulfill the needs of your community and have like um, collective determination, you have to have self-determination. And the mindfulness is also so key because you need to be able to stop and look at what you're doing and not just keep going for the sake of going, but actually look at how you're affecting your community or your collective and change and be flexible, which also is also the next point. Be as flexible as possible because things change often. Like sometimes there'll be five folks at the park and sometimes there'll be 30, um, but you have to be able to, to work with what is given and what is, what is in front of you. Yep. Um, clear boundaries. Right? We talked about a lot. Setting clear boundaries for yourself with, uh, and for the, the people within the collective. Um, and then having non-punitive strategies, right, to address things. Um, so um, typically punishment and accountability is seen through like punitive structures, through punishment. Um, but it's understanding that it should be through healing and growth and care. Um, no matter the harm that is caused, it's, it's understanding that um, we, we don't want to have punitive responses to the shit anymore. That's what we're trained to have. Um, so whether it's parenting, whether it's interpersonal relationships, whether it's um, with a random person you come across uh, on the street, it's, it's having non-punitive responses to things that you experience. Um, and really like living your abolitionist politic and not just saying in your bio that you're an abolitionist, right? Because what the fuck does that mean? Who does that, who does that materially benefit if you're not practicing it in your everyday life? <clears throat> we go to the next one. Appreciate it. Um, addressing conflict and difficult decisions. Um, so making a worst case scenario plan, again, if you pull up to the tracks or the tracks, I said one specific location that we do. Uh, if you pull up, uh, if you pull up to distro with your homies um, and right, there's a sweep happening, right? Worst case scenario plan, right? Understanding what happens when, when a sweep is occurring, when we're about to go serve with our homies. Um, have clarity on behaviors, patterns, and trigger responses that have harmed people in the past. Again, right, being aware of, of um certain people's triggers, right? And, and things that, that caused them harm in the past that could cause them harm again if you you reenact that behavior, even as as um, innocent as you feel as it was, right? It can cause a trigger to, to anybody. Um, learning how to give real apologies, that's a struggle. Uh -huh. um, do your research before the shit hits the fan. Uh, each, <laughs> each member of your team is a whole fucking person, right? And they can show up as a whole fucking person however they want to show up. Madness is not an excuse for abusive behavior. And that is so fucking key because it doesn't matter who the fuck you are. Madness is not, not an excuse for abusive behavior. Again, say it like seven more times because it's so easy to let that type of thing go. Specifically because we don't know how to handle madness. And we don't talk about these things. We don't talk about disability justice. So we pretend like we can just look past it. But once we do start talking about it, which we all are now, you cannot look past it. You cannot pretend that those things are okay just because you don't know how to facilitate a real conversation about it. Yeah, it's, 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 it's also about moving past identity reductionism, right? Or like, just because that person is mentally ill, they can't cause harm. Or just because fucking uh, Kamala Harris is a black and a woman, she's a fucking good candidate. Like that's, that's identity reductionism. There's no, there's no material truth that addresses the reality of that situation, right? So like, none of that shit is an excuse to cause harm, to hurt people, to destroy organizations, not like to be a fucking Zionist colonizer. Like none, none of that is an excuse, right? Just your identity reduced down to something, it, it doesn't matter. But an identity politic, right, is a lot different. So I think we have to be able to talk about the difference of those two. Um, extend compassion whenever possible, which you have to be in community to learn how to develop compassion. Practice gratitude and appreciation, which we time. constantly, we don't do in our society because we're fast paced and everything is about satisfaction, but it's so necessary, especially when working in a collective and trying to build a collective of beings who respect and reciprocate love to each other, um, reminding people that they matter and that what they do is seen and cared for is so important so like so i can I, I i can't even like stress it enough like if someone does something for you and you just like and like or something like happens within uh your collective like there's like a beautiful and like no one acknowledges it um that's shitty like just like tell people thank you tell people you love them give them a shout out for holding it down um like constantly be complimenting your your comrades and your homies and like 
have that affinity with one another um, because like you don't just want a space that like is always uncomfortable or always high stress because we think that shit is normal, but it's, it's not, it's not normal. Um, and understanding that transformation takes time on your path towards creating a care team, on your path towards becoming an abolitionist, whatever, right? On your path of political growth, of personal growth, of community growth, right? It's gonna take time and harm is gonna occur um, and it's gonna, there's gonna be struggle and there will be pain. Um, but again, it's like having these frameworks in place so we can address it meaningfully and grow afterwards, right? And not take steps backwards. So we can go, we can go to the next one. I think it might be, yeah. Um, so sorry we fucking talked the whole time. Um, it was, a, it's a lot to get through. We typically like in, in, in our in our comrades classroom, we, we try to have it more conversational, um, but there was like just a lot of shit that we had to like throw at you. Um, but if there, how much time is it? Uh, yeah, I don't know how much time there is, but like it, it, definitely these questions um, are, are super important, but we don't obviously have to sit here and talk about them. Whatever, whatever y'all are feeling. We have time for sure. So yeah, yeah. So I mean, I'm gonna let y'all kind of sit with these three questions. Then, um, what does it mean to you now to center the agency and self determination of disabled and non disabled folks? Right. So like making decisions based off of their needs, their agency, what they want for themselves. Um, not what the medical industrial complex uh, put onto them. Um, are there any specific aspects within disability and healing justice frameworks that seem challenging to you to implement in your daily life and your collective life? Um, and then do you have any questions for us? Uh, so any of those things y'all can hit um, or we can call it quits, whatever y'all want. I like the way you love me. 